Comic writer Alan Moore and artist Dave Gibbons had both been born in the early years of the Cold War, and in the late 1980s, with 40 years of ramping tension and no peaceful end in sight, they created Watchmen. This comic, cited by Time magazine as one of the 100 best novels, grapples with the looming threat of sudden, absolute destruction through the lens of a Golden Age superhero saga. With now-classic characters like Rorschach and Dr. Manhattan, Moore and Gibbons explore the impossible task of retaining one's humanity in a world so close to the brink of ruin. Welcome to Extra Issues. Hello, and welcome to Extra Issues, the comic book reading club podcast where we choose a theme and read through a selection of comics that explore that theme. For the launch of the podcast, we are discussing superhero subversion, starting with, with Watchmen. I'm Charlotte, a genetically engineered... Engin- oh, God. F- All I'm right, Charlotte. now scrap it. Scrap the podcast. We're done. <laughs> it's over. Let me just go back so you can have an easy cut. Yeah, please. <laughs> I'm Charlotte, a genetically engineered li- Oh, God, is it so hard to say? <laughs> I'm Charlotte, a genetically engineered lynx, and I'm joined today by my co-host, a man who is tired of Earth, of these people. <laughs> He's tired of being caught in the tangle of their comic book opinions. It's Zach Dean. How's, the- How's it going, Zach? That's one of your best intros for me. Uh, Thank I'm- you. I'm well, Charlotte, and I am so excited to be doing this. Uh, yes. Yes, yes. So, uh, for those of you who don't know, which I'm sure most of you do, um, this is Extra Issues. It's a brand new comic book reading club podcast. It is spinning off of My Marvels Here, a comic book reading club where we're going through the best of Marvel comics from its origins to today, and then replacing My Ultimate Year, which Charlotte and I, uh, debut Singh and I started, and then Charlotte replaced him, and we read through the entire Ultimate line of Marvel comics. And this is a comic book podcast idea I've kind of wanted to do since the beginning um basically exploring comics outside of the world of big two superhero comics um and i guess trying to do no homework comics right like comics (laughs) that i'm excited to talk about and comics that were like um that will like stretch our imaginations a little bit and then we don't have to necessarily and being able to switch it around now and then like yeah yeah fully tied to one specific genre of comics even if mm-hmm. it's the overall main genre of american comics or uh, one gender yeah. of comics where an all gender ex- in- inclusive comic club all gendrix inclusive comics yeah <laughs> yeah that's that's the one <laughs> that that mean that meant something that's that sentence meant something <laughs> i'm sure it did to someone out there yeah so just it's going to be exciting to read e- we're not always going to read comics that we're both, like, effusive about. I even think there's one comic in this list for this theme that we're probably both going to be uh, critical of. But I'm excited to talk about it. I think it will be, like, interesting, and I think it will get us to be able to, to stretch our critical wings a little bit. So Yeah, uh, so you're... like, like Zach said, we just both hated Watchmen, uh, is going to be the opinion. <laughs> <laughs> yes, right. Yeah, get, strap in 90 minutes of taking down Alan Moore. Yep. Um, that's, that's not the case. So, yes, our first theme... It's going to be superhero subversions, and we're going to be covering uh, six different episodes over the next six months for this. Um, we're going to be doing Watchmen. We're going to be doing Planetary, uh, The Boys, Peter Cannon, Thunderbolt, 
Alan Moore's Miracle Man. And then the sixth episode is going to be decided by our listeners. We're going to put that poll up on our Patreon, uh, which is patreon.com slash mymarvelousyear if you want to support the show or my Marvelous Year. And I'm going to put it in our Slack club, which is gated by our Patreon. It's a $5 backers on Patreon get access to our Slack. Um, so if you're either backing us on Patreon or in our Slack, you'll see the poll at some point. And uh, we've got a bunch of options. That will be our sixth episode for Superhero Subversions. And then after we're done with Superhero Subversions, we're going to pick a new theme. And we've got a huge variety of comics. It could be manga. It could be nonfiction. It could be uh, porn comics. I think that's what we're going to do, Charlotte. Uh, porn comics <laughs> only. Um, I mean, you know what? That could be interesting. <laughs> I know. I was making. I, don't know a, if we... <laughs> I was making a joke, but like, you know, there's stuff there. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> maybe not enough for an entire like theme. In miniseries, but... but like that could be part of an- another theme. Like, <laughs> sure. If we do a, a theme about animal comics, I'm sure there are some furry comics out there that we can include. Well, you know, I mean, unnatural. That comic put up by Image Comics is uh, is one Dave yeah. and I both really like, uh, and that's verging on furry porn. Um, and I, okay, I kind of well, really dig that comic. Yeah. Anyway, an idea for so... what's coming up in the future for for you folks. <laughs> yeah. So if you're interested in you know following along the uh, the list of comic series that we're going to be covering is going to be in the show notes. Uh, if you want to vote on what our last episode is going to be, come over on Patreon or Slack. And uh, and I think we're gonna I'm gonna try to make sure that we note where you can find the next comic for the next episode um, online. So Watchmen, you know, we didn't get a chance, obviously, to talk about where you can find Watchmen, but it is probably the most famous famous comic book of all time. You can find it at every library. You can find it. Uh, it's not on any, like, I don't want to call them streaming services, but, like, subscription comic services, I don't think. Yeah, you won't find Watchmen on Disney+, Plus uh, <laughs> or in HBO Max. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> but we're going to be covering Planetary by Warren Ellis next. Uh, it's a 27-issue series, and it is all on DC Universe Infinite. Um, I didn't check. It might be on Hoopla, which is the uh, comic book, like, uh, online digital service that you can get through local libraries in the United States. Um, and I'm sorry, but I, I actually didn't even talk to you about this, Charlotte, but I probably will just be focusing on where you can find it in the U.S. since the majority of our listeners are U.S. Uh, if How you dare at... you, but also that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, if you're outside of the United States, uh, you're on your I own mean, to find honestly, it. Honestly, if you I... want to find Watchmen in France, just go to your local library. <laughs> yeah, sure. The same I... thing. Planetary might, might be more complicated, but yeah. Here's how I salvage that. Uh, I'm telling our American listeners where to find these comics because Americans are just so damn dumb and uh our foreign <laughs> listeners are smart and cultured and they'll find comic books so that's yep how i'm saving that uh all right you want to jump into Watchmen? let's do it okay uh 1987 12 issue mini series maxi series i'm not really sure where the line is drawn between mini and maxi series Midi- um, mid series yeah mi- mi- <laughs> middle series <laughs> Watchmen uh, is mid is <laughs> what we're it is here. it's not what we're saying it is a superhero comic ostensibly that uh I, I guess the larger picture of it is somebody is killing superheroes or at least retired superheroes and it's a murder mystery trying to figure out why they're being murdered why they're being killed and who's doing it um, it's going to be hard to talk about this comic. It's an incredibly talked about comic. It's a memed on comic. It's yep. been a movie. It's been, it was a TV show follow-up. It has been, since expanded into the DC world. We'll maybe touch on those things later, uh, at the end of the episode, but 
it's like it's a hard comic to talk about because it's so big and it's so iconic that it's it's like it's hard to read it and almost put yourself in a naive sense of mind when it comes to it so for example the first three pages rorschach's journal october 12th 1985 dog carcass in alley this morning tire tread on burst stomach the city is afraid of me i have seen its true face the streets are extended gutters and the gutters are full of blood and when the drains finally scab over all the vermin will drown like i think that's a really powerful <laughs> powerful opening yeah. to a comic especially if you can put yourself in the context of 1987 superhero comics like we're reading a lot of 80s superhero comics because of my marvelous year even like frank miller's dark um like daredevil stuff that's kind of grim and gritty it, it doesn't approach this <laughs> right like yeah the only two things i can think about by like 1987 is like yeah frank frank miller's uh, daredevil and then maybe craven's last hands uh, in some sure. ways, but, yeah, this is but a not whole as nasty. Thing. I mean, it's it's na it, yeah, also yeah. this is um, those words are being shown over a shot of blood being sprayed into like cleaned off the sidewalks. There are uh, there's a puddle of blood and it's being washed away, literally being washed away yeah. uh, in that moment. It's a really affecting opening page, but at the same time, those lines are so well known. It, it's it's like hard to kind of put yourself in that that frame of mind. So it, it's. It's been interesting returning to this and trying to like really look at it from a kind of taking a step back um, outside of the the like enormous. It's like watching Star Wars for the first time and just trying to appreciate it like just for what it is and not for the enormous cultural impact it's had over the you know forty years since it came out. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, but uh, I'm, I'm excited uh, to talk about it. Yeah, and I think like to maybe talk about the relationship <laughs> we've had with Watchmen in yeah, the past. Like, yeah. I've read Watchmen before, but I feel like this was kind of the first time I read Watchmen. I think the first time I read Watchmen was when I was 14 and getting for the first time into superhero comics. Mm -hmm. And I really flew through it. Like, I didn't read any of the, like, actual text parts. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't... I skipped through a lot of the, like, secondary plot lines, I guess. I yeah, it was very a surface viewer reading, and then I think I read it another time when it was maybe seventeen or something, um, and yeah, same thing. I didn't really read it too deeply, and I didn't have also the knowledge about comic book history to like put it in perspective with other other stuff that I'd read, which is mostly as far as uh, American comics go, Marvel. Um, but yeah, like it's a very different experience reading it now when I like I actually took the time of reading it all, <laughs> reading all the words on every page. Sure, which uh, yeah. should be normal, but I didn't do that in uh, at seventeen years old. No, it's it, um, I mean, it's, it's understandable. I I had a similar um, experience this time because I've read this. Uh, I mean, I'm in my mid, my mid thirties. I read this I think the first time when I was eighteen, and then maybe the last time yeah. is early twenties. And I think I read it as much more of a superhero saga those times. Right. Like it was yeah. a story about these characters and them being superheroes. And I was really fixated on the superhero aspect of this. And I think that's that's a little bit of the trick of this comic. I think it works on that level really well. Like I think it's yeah. just a pretty straightforward plot about the mystery, even though it is slightly a MacGuffin. Um, I think it works. I think it works well and it's engaging and these characters are engaging and it's thrilling and the, the twists and turns are fun and exciting. This time, like, the superhero stuff and the plot <laughs> was, like, very secondary to me. And I felt like this was the time I read it where the book cracked open for me. And I finally, like, like I understood why Time magazine put this on its list of 100 best novels of all time. Like, I, I, yeah. I don't think I've ever, re like, 
fully understood that. And, you know, it's just me saying I was stupider in the past, but like having a larger <laughs> cultural context and historical and political uh, worldview, I think like really opened this up. I also think it's a book that I think a lot of its preoccupations are ones of being older. Um, I think it's something that it dwells on a lot is getting older and stuff that I feel like you kind of need a little bit more of world fatigue maybe to understand, uh, which I definitely <laughs> didn't have at 18 or maybe even 24. Um, like the the looming threat of destruction, of worldwide destruction, or of just that the the world and its forces are just this boulder rolling forward towards chaos and it's out of everyone's control and it's certainly out of your control yeah i think is the large feeling of just oppressive anxiety that looms over this book and that's something that i certainly didn't connect with when i was younger um i was a little bit more uh just kind of (laughs) happy-go-lucky i guess and uh you know not as plugged into what's going on in the world so i mean it uses the lens of nuclear war the cold war and nuclear devastation and mutually assured destruction that's like the specifics of it but like the feeling, the feelings that are in this book feel exactly relatable to me. Um, parent climate change over it, where it's just this. It's almost yeah. like it's just nature, right? It's just the way things are. It's human made. It's human constructed destruction. Like this is something that humans have done and humans are doing. But yet it is. It's not just out of your control, and it's not just. It's it's out of the controls of the people who have the power to change it, because no one person can. I think that is like that's what I honed in on here um, this time. Uh, what what did you? Because you know, I think you could talk to ten different people about this book and walk away with ten different like, oh, this is what Watchmen's about, right? Like, and I think all that's valid. I think you could say it's about getting older. It's about aging out of the the time and place you're in. I think it's about superheroes, and I think it's just about you know commenting on golden age superhero. It's just that. So like, what what did you grab onto with this reading, like? Did, did you I have, like, one half, thing, or did you have a bunch of things? I think it was half, like, everything you said about the the big theme of not even lo- losing control of the world, but, like, understanding that you never had control to begin with mm, is, like, mm-hmm. the the big theme with every character and, like, with the way the, the book ends and what the actual plot uh, is, like, the solution to, to the, the, the murder mystery, I guess. Um, and half it was that, and the other half was, like seeing placing watchmen in superhero history because that's something i'm interested interested in and seeing how it works as a superhero story and maybe a superhero inversion or subversion which like it's hard to say how much of a subversion it is because it uses superhero tricks to a very effective extent and to it uses them perfectly to what it's trying to say but i don't think it's inverts them totally uh i mean it, it depends really it feels but, like um, it, I've always it exposes like, them more than anything to me that's like the feeling i get yeah from it. but it's, it yeah. exposes them by using them to do something greater like mm-hmm. it is it's not in any way focused or intent on like being a hey see how why superheroes are dumb like that's what we're doing we're just making fun of superheroes that's not what is happening here at all and there is even like kind of a PT slash tenderness towards most of the superhero characters because they're just people. Um, yeah, I, I think it's like was very interesting, and I think those two parts, like the the large themes of uh, impending doom and loss of control, and like it as a superhero story, 
those work very well together and like I, I I saw the comics through those two lenses which are really only one lenses only one lens because I think like the superhero stone is what's used to to build the whole thing in a very interesting way mm, yeah 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 I, I agree with that I think yeah I think you're spot on about like how Alan Moore is I don't think he's interested like he certainly wouldn't be like yeah I'm you know poking fun of the superhero thing I don't think he's making fun of yeah. anything I don't think he's doing satire here I think he, it feels like he's just trying to make, like, write a story with real people, right? Like, and he has affection yeah. for these people. He's just making superheroes real people who have flaws. And they are, some are deeply flawed and some are less flawed, but they are all flawed and they are all, they all have their own biases in the way of viewing the world and their own reaction to the world. I mean, I think that's the big core theme to me is just how you deal with the world <laughs> and it's, uh, yeah. you know, feeling out of control in the world. but. I mean, even, even, oh, and you know, FYI, we're, this is a 35 year old book. We're going to be spoiling this. Um, yeah. Not that I think it's like that spoilable. I think even if you know the ending, it's still like a riveting read. But, um, you know, Night Owl, Dan and Dryberg. If you haven't gotten spoiled on Watchmen by this point. Yeah, one, yeah, you? right. I agree. Oh. <laughs> Dan Dryberg, uh, Night Owl. I mean, I think he's one of the more like relatable, sympathetic characters. But even him, like, he's yeah. a guy who kind of casually jokes around about, you know, let's get let's go down to the, some seedy bars and do some good old fashioned brutality, <laughs> some criminals, right? Like, yeah, it's it's just saying like, if superheroes are real, this really is what they are. They're not. It's not the boys, and we're going to be talking about the boys, where like, yeah. well, superheroes with this power. It's not trying to say like, um, absolute power corrupts absolutely. It is just saying like, people are people. They make mistakes, and if you give them power, they might overwield it, and they might and I sometimes uh take it way too far um i i think he is interested in all of these they're not archetypes and they're not tropes for him to be playing with like these are humans yeah. that he wants to be like characterizing um and i think the the idea of it being if superheroes were real and dis differencing that from what the boys is doing is that the boys is like what if specifically like superman or wonder woman or like those classic superheroes as characters were behaving like real people whereas watchmen is like what if real people thought like try to be superheroes which is impossible because superheroes are like literary devices they mm -hmm. don't exist yeah. they are like things to be used by authors and so when a a person define themselves by something that is a literary devices a literary device made for comic books for children like it's it makes them like consider normal to just beat up people and like trap, define their view of the world through the lens of children's comics, basically. Sure, uh, and, which is and, like something and it gives Alan them Moore a very about. well. Sh I mean, because like, look at what a lot of them are concerned about, right? They they in in the end, these superheroes come across as naive and having a very like childlike, simplistic view of the world. Right? Even Ozymandias yeah. at the end is talking about. Uh, how, you know, he understood at some point that, like, beating up gangsters is not changing anything. Like, he's, you know, he's punching the symptoms, not the disease. But, like, yeah. when crime busters, they try to, to recreate, it's like almost the Silver Age crew is trying to come back together. It's the second wave of superheroes. And you can see on the uh, the corkboard, like, the things they want to fix. They're like, we have to do something about the world. And their concerns are, quote, promiscuity, anti-war movements, black unrest, and drugs. 
right? Like those are the problems with in their worldview, right? Like, and I, I don't think it's yeah. even, I don't think it's trying to say like, this is a strongly politically motivated, like these are not, you know, uh, evil fascists that are trying to tamp this down. I think these are just normal everyday people the same way that like being almost misled in their worldview, just kind of having a very simple idea of like what the problem is out there, right? It's not the Vietnam War and, and it's not all, the mechanism yeah, of America. desperately trying to, to grab onto what their view of what the world should be is. Uh, like whether that be what they they've been inculcated in that's not a word in English what they've been taught of like oh the word is the world is a place where like yeah it should be normal that uh, black people are treated badly and it should be normal that we have uh, have that power and it should be normal that people aren't against war and the establishments uh, or whether it be it should be we should be superheroes and we should in that way have control over the world and both of those things are equally just trying to grab grasp at straws and fix the world and put him into a box that it can never be put in. Right. I mean, it, it, it's showing a, a limit in imagination, which is yeah. what most people have, you know, myself included. Of course, I'm not trying to say I'm outside this, but like, what can you do against the crushing, overwhelming power of American empire just like grinding up other countries for, you know, obtuse reasons? Like, why are we in Vietnam? can you actually do anything about Vietnam? No, of course not. Like you're just some schmuck in New York city. Well, but you can stop, you know, like maybe you can stop some teenagers from looting buildings nearby because of their protests, right? Like that, that's the limit of their imagination. And that's, you know, that, that's what they see that they can fix. It's not a real fix, but you know, and, and I think that it just extends to, these are just regular people. And if you asked regular people, like, if you were a superhero, what would you do to fix the problem? I mean, it's <laughs> you see it reflected in Punisher comics, too, right? Where, like, especially in the 80s and 90s with, like, crime wave and crime hysteria, it was like, um, you know, the conversation was not like, how is poverty and deprivation causing, you know, massive amounts of urban crime? It was what are these animals on the street doing to your grandma, <laughs> right? And how can we stop them? Uh, and that's, like, reflected through Punisher comics and superhero comics. So I think, like, yeah. But it, but again, it doesn't feel like he's trying to just use these as, like, political bludgeons or, like, superhero archetypes to uh, to invert. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's really something interesting. Uh, let's see. I, I want to back up a little bit. Just talk about that first issue. Um Rorschach. Let's let's talk about Rorschach a little bit. I think he's an incredible character. Uh, I think he's really really interesting. There's 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 this meme idea out there of like the person who w looks at Rorschach and says, ah, "That guy's so cool." Like I love Rorschach. Rorschach's great. T I think Ted Cruz <laughs> listed him as one of his favorite superheroes, <laughs> which is very funny. Um, I think it's clear you are not supposed to think Rorschach is a cool, good guy. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, here, here's yeah, a quote from issue one. Uh, I mean, he, he talks about the whores and politicians uh, corrupting the city, which is just funny to, you know, like, th those two things being of equal moral degradation to him, right? Like, sex yeah. workers, but also the people who have... Sex workers who are almost, by definition, at least in this time and context, like, are forced into the work by their material circumstances and then politicians who hold the levers of power to actually change things <laughs> for people's lives right like yeah. 
it, it's all in the same playing field for him. Uh, and later, you know, he talks about the landlady has five kids by five husbands, cheats on her welfare, right? Like he's not interested in why this woman is the way she is or her circumstances. He's, you know, just she's immorality. He's standing in judgment over these people. I, I think it's just so clear. It's really funny to think that you would think this is like a cool guy. But at the same time, I get it a little bit because more does still him like I, I I think it's, I'm not sure if I want to say it's a miscalculation, but like Rorschach is kind of cool sometimes. Right. And you can like step back and be like, oh, well, the violence, you know, is not cool or whatever. But like violence is thrilling. Violence is fun. Uh, I think it's like hard to try to deny that. And when Rorschach, you know, is takes out those guys in prison one at a time and says, like, you're not here with me or I'm not in here with you, you're in here with me. Like, I think it's cool, right? And I I don't know if that's more miscalculating the audience's, like, capacity to separate these things. But, like, when he slowly kills those people in prison, like, he's a cool badass. Um, So I I, I think, like, it's either, yeah, it might be a failing, he might be trying to play a trick on us, but, like, to me it feels a little bit of, like, having your cake and eating it too. Yeah, Um, that's that's interesting, because I... I wonder if you could even say there's things to it where it's like it's being cool helps him feel like <laughs> I have trouble saying Rorschach is seducing in any, in any way, but that that idea of seeing the the world in such a simplistic worldview mm-hmm. as like Rorschach Rorschach can freaking pronounce his name Rorschach uh, <laughs> yeah there you go like the incarnation of that simplistic worldview. Had, there's something seducing to that mm-hmm. to and like in almost like the way fascism is seducing because yeah, like yeah, yeah. Oh, finally I can just let someone else uh, lead the way and, and tell me how the world should be and like him being attracting on that level of being kind of beta- badass maybe there's something to that I don't know how intentional that is and no, I don't know no, how I, mean, I, think, I think that's totally valid that, that, that sounds that, yeah. that's a pretty good read to me like that he's kind of a Trojan horse for this, you know, like hyper conservative moralizing mindset, uh, but using the trappings of like a badass superhero to like sneak that in. Sure. Yeah. I mean, that, that's what I mean by him, like kind of playing a trick uh, on the reader. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that, that's it's interesting to think about. But yes, walking away being like Rorschach's so cool <laughs> is a little bit. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's pretty funny. Um, I mean, the the. I think more gets talked about like he is exposing the inherent fascism in superheroes through this comic and reading it this time. I don't know if that's how I feel about it. Like if I agree with that or if it's just saying that kind of idea we talked about, like if you give it the, the, the people who are drawn to this power and this lifestyle would inherently be a little bit more like, yeah. What's the word like less interested in reconciliation and like social justice and more in using violence as a tool of justice? Um, yeah, I think it's like it's more saying that people who would def- adult people who define their worldview by through the lens of the simplistic nature of superhero comics that would lend itself very easily to to fascism and like being like yeah seeing the world through a way too simplistic lens that is that has never been meant to to represent how the world works it's like like i said a a literary device it can't 
you can't fit the how the world actually works into it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, which yeah, yeah. is something people do all the time. Uh, well, I mean, it's kind of like you know people who decide to join the you know the police force, right? And like, I don't want to like. Yeah. <laughs> This is a, a tightrope to walk. I don't want to actually disparage individual, like, people who decide to join the police. I think, like, there are plenty of people who decide to become a cop with all the best intentions of the world. And I think the entire, the structure is rotten, but there are individual decent people who, you know, for whatever reason, like, are, are trying to get into it for the right reasons. But the system itself lends itself to only, you know, it, it's when everything, when all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Um, I think, I think that's like similar to what he's getting at here, right? Like, even if, you know, there's a, there's a gulf between the way that Rorschach views the world and the way that Night Owl views the world here, right? There's a huge gulf between the way that they view people and their sympathies to people and their approach and their, um, the way that they just view other humans, um, as real people and not just things to stand in judgment over. But at the same time, like... Dryberg gets sucked right into Rorschach's method, right? Uh, he yeah. is, he, he, he's uncomfortable with it. He feels a little icky about it, but he also stands by the guy and thinks, you know, there's there's an in-group sympathy here, even as Rorschach is just breaking fingers of probably innocent people. Yeah. Um, I, I think I, I don't think the the like the police comparison is like, I, I think it makes sense because like it's. It's the idea of being a person and wanting to do the right thing and wanting to to be part of fixing the world in the way you think the the world like in in the way you think where the flows are and like even with the best intents thinking that if I just put on this suit and if I just follow what like if I just accept that by doing this and just doing this I like necessarily am doing the good the right thing mm-hmm. uh, like that's inherently flawed thing that just like but it's a very common like i I mean this is a larger societal lack of imagination in the ways to solve problems right like our our cultures just you know see like well it's drugs and it's the drug trade you have to just arrest the people and put them in jail right like it it, it, that is the it's really hard i mean it's hard to break out of these narratives right so like i understand it and i sympathize with it and it's not something i've always been totally enlightened about and i'm sure i'm totally unenlightened on a bunch of stuff but like just the idea that like there are other ways to combat drugs and drug use besides incarcération is you know like it's hard to see right for people so like i i understand it and i think that's that's kind of something he's getting at also we should mention more more is you know like an anarchist (laughs) right like he (laughs) does that's all over this comic um you know you can you yeah. can see his political leanings all over this yeah but I, I think like the the where the comparison makes absolute sense is exactly what you said it's a it's a narr- narr- narrative narrative Na- narrative narrative <laughs> um and yeah like if you if you the moment you start playing into that narrative like it's not nothing that it's it's already lost but like it's it's too flawed to be rescued in a way mm-hmm. um but, yeah but yeah, yeah i think the the, the, the comparison makes absolute sense well and then you also get someone like the comedian what was on his mind yes oh sorry i interrupted um no, you yeah. get, and then you get someone like the comedian who is seeing this as a way to enact you know state regulated state sponsored violence right he's seeing this as like oh you know i have an inclination to be brutal and enact my will over people and this gives me the license to do so which is also you know it's that uh 
God, what's the, do you know that Onion article about uh, uh, becoming a cop? The worst um, person you knew made, I don't know, okay. No, it's, uh, <laughs> it's something like maladjusted uh, high school, high school bully. Uh, God, what is it? Oh, uh, insecure, frustrated bully with something to prove considers le- career in law enforcement. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, you, you have that kind of like, some people are like Night Owl or probably getting into it is what they see as really good reasons. The comedian is getting into it for a, an excuse to do what he wants to be doing anyway. Right. He sees that the world is this random hopeless place and he might as well like get a kick out of it while he's here um yeah i think that that might be a good place to transition into like talking about the characters and their worldviews um i i have so i kind of wrote this up because i think for me again like the core theme of this book is how you respond to the feeling of helplessness with the the looming threat of like history just rolling forward with you having no say in it right so, I mean, I think the comedian, and feel free to interrupt, you know, if you if you see these yeah. differently. The comedian, I think, full, like, understands more than most how much the world is totally out of everyone's control. And he's laughing at, you know, the idea that people are going to, that the crime busters are going to fix it by, like, cracking down on student protests and uh, the sex trade, right? Like, that's laughable because it is laughable. Like, he's correct in that. Like, he's correct that the world is much bigger and much nastier or more brutal than uh, their imagination allows them to see. And in face of that, he's just going to have a blast and, you know, like, break some heads and do what he wants to be doing anyway, which is, you know, being part of the the winning side, at least, right? And have some fun doing it. Um, Yeah, because he understands that, like, there is no end point of doing this where they actually fix the world. mm -hmm, Like, all they can do is, like, be violent and channel their will to to shape the world into that violence and he's just fine with it because that's what he wants to do but he also sees that the others the others are kind of in it for the same thing even though they don't completely understand it and aren't as unleashed as he is yeah yeah well i think something interesting too about this comic is that there there are quite a few characters that i would characterize as nihilistic comedian included that you see the cracks in it right like something pushes them (laughs) <laughs> to basically like challenge that like cool remove uh and that like drags them kicking and screaming back into having some sort of humanity and with the comedian you see this a few times right like he's far enough removed that he boy he gets uh, a woman in vietnam pregnant uh and then just tries to blow her off when she comes to him for help and then she cuts him with a bottle and he kills her and his unborn child and you know like shrugs it off tries to stay very like cool and collected about it you know the way he's shooting protesters with uh, tear gas canisters and, like having a blast with it but then when he finds out about ozymandias's plan it kind of breaks him a little bit right like the sheer scale of that destruction yeah and the, the the choice that that gives him of like he can't do anything to stop it because it will lend to a what he sees as a larger evil uh does like make him break a little bit and you also can see it in the way that laurie treats him when his daughter uh, approaches him and uh, like throws that drink in his face. Like there's that panel of like real hurt in his face. Uh, and you see that he like does want to connect with his daughter, right? Like he feels like he actually has a connection here. So like there are things that matter to him despite, you know, his, his like bravado, I guess. Um, I'd say the same with Dr. Manhattan, right? Like 
Dr. Manhattan, I think, kind of is nihilistic and decides to, you know, the world is too big and moves too quickly and he can't have any sway over it. So yeah. he'll just remove himself from it, right? He's not going to join Manhattan in. Is... Yeah. Please go on. Manhattan is interesting because it's, it's hard for me to put him on the same list as like going point by point as the others because he has such a different role in place than mm-hmm. the others. Because like he's the only one who hasn't chosen to become a superhero, but he's the closest thing there is to an actual superhero as like something beyond than, I'm going to say that a lot, but a literary device. Yeah, just a um, man in a costume. And yeah. that, whereas everyone is just losing, f- not losing faith, but like panicking more and more as they understand the world more. He's the only one who has perfect understanding of how the world is and like for all like he theoretically his power is being omnipotent like he can do anything change anything but well I feel no like wait wait not... i want to i want to say i think he's omniscient i think he can see everything i don't think he's omnipotent because that's the whole point is it, it, i do want to dive into this more like the way he talks about it specifically is like he can't change everything things are going to happen as they happen yeah, like he just but sees it. in theory, like his powers are to shape reality. Sure, but even yeah. with those powers, he's like he's the only one who truly understands like that like, they can't do anything, like no one can change the world. Right, yeah. Um uh, because like everything is going towards one point. Uh like which is an interesting So he like he... is it saying retroactively everything was meant to happen or that like the world is running forward, and even if you can choose change minor things, like it's still going down to its uh, demise. His, his worldview is what really cements the feeling of hopelessness in this book to me. Yeah. Because what he... It's a strange feeling, and it's hard to express without sounding like you're like 20 and stoned. Um, <laughs> like dorm room <laughs> talk. But like the idea of inevitability of these massive horrifying events that feel just too big to sway and it's just the result of too many things all pushing in one direction you know like the biggest wars in the world and 9-11 and genocides and you know these things that just feel like how could we have stopped them well you can't like these are just movements of history right that they almost feel as if in retrospect they were inevitable right like there was no moment there was no fulcrum that they they sat upon so like that feeling is what he really like and that's something like i mean i feel like we all feel that a little bit in real time right now with climate change i feel like we all just sit here and just being like it just is happening and it's going to happen but it's inevitable much of it is like historical inevitability in the the idea that one thing leads to other to another and like history is a force that is pushing everything towards like in one timeline and we can divert from that because I think that's widely undercut and I don't think that's what's actually going on here just because of the fact that this is another timeline where like the US win the Vietnam War and like things are actually different well I'm, I'm not, I'm not saying it's like... true right? that's what I'm saying no, no, no. I, I, don't, I think but it's I think just a relatable feeling and but I think like as the author more isn't trying to say that there is an inevitability to history but like he uses that to reinforce that everyone is feeling that idea. Oh, totally. That, that's exactly that. what I mean. Yeah, no, no. You and I yeah, are yeah, in okay. agreement on that. We're like, no, because yeah. I don't think I don't like as dark as this book is. I don't think it's a hopeless 
book. I don't think you're walking away feeling, I mean, you, you can walk away feeling pretty hopeless from this book, but I don't think that's what Moore is saying is that like, we're all doomed and there's nothing to do about it. I think he's just exploring what it feels like to be living in a world that feels doomed. <laughs> um, because I, I think that's why Manhattan is nihilistic, right? Like, I think he has this nihilistic point of view because he does feel yeah. like everything is inevitable, right? Like, he has the quote here, Through my blue fingers, pink grains are falling, haphazard, random, a disorganized stream of silicone that seems pregnant with the possibility of every conceivable shape. But this is an illusion. Things have their shape and time, not space alone. Some marble blocks have statues within them embedded in their future. Right? So, like... This is going to happen. There's no stopping nuclear war. There's no halting the course of the Vietnam War. There's no, you know, et cetera, et cetera, right? Like, these are just things that are going to happen. There's no changing them. It's already prescribed that it's going to happen. Because of that, I'm going to check out. I'm going to, like, zone out, and I'm going to just kind of take a step back and divorce myself from the proceedings because, you know, it's already predestined. It's slightly tricky because he actually is kind of omniscient, so he can see these things but even so like he's tricked and he's confused and he is misled here i mean his his connection back to reality i think is one really is an interesting one of just thinking that that randomness of history can also produce the you know the exact circumstances to halt that right and or just to have human connection right that every human being where they are in history is a miracle that you know is too commonplace to marvel at um yeah, but I I, I still yeah. see him and as like a flip the, side to the comedian, right? I to, to yeah, me yeah. at least. You know? The the randomness aspect is like really interesting because it's even if you understand that you like it's not enough to understand that you can't shape the world, is that there are moments that are going to define what's gonna happen, but those are left chance and you only realized what they were afterwards, mm-hmm. or if you have complete knowledge of everything that's happening. And I think the very last panels of the comic are like just some random teen at a like right wing newspaper, uh deciding to publish without even realizing what it is uh Rorschach's journals which mm-hmm. are which could be defining of whether the world learns or not that uh, Ozymandias was uh, behind uh, like engineered um the world coming together and like that just small completely random act of someone having no idea of what they're doing of uh, and what they hold in their hands is what could define the rest of like the future of the world so, like there are those moments where history can go many ways but no one can decide of those and they're always like you can just witness them well i mean um, take take world war one and then hence world war two for yeah. example right like the assassination of franz ferdinand right like that is, that is you know it's a simplistic argument but like there are ideas that people would historians will say like that was the moment that kicked off world war one and because World War One happened, it was almost inevitable that, like, World War Two was going to happen because of the huge forces. But that is one small moment, you know, that was a bunch of coincidences and a lucky shot. And Franz Ferdinand was, you know, actually an anti-war. Like, he was pushing against a uh, war with Serbia. So, like, if he had not been assassinated, he had power to, you know, sway this. It, like, it, it felt like the idea that World War Two couldn't have happened if one guy had missed his shot back in, like, 1914... Seems insane, right? Like, you think about that and you're like, well, no. Because that would have just changed every... Like, you can't even imagine how the world would have gone if World War One just hadn't happened, right? Because it's so embedded yeah. in our psyches, right? But I think that's 
partially what this getting at is that like, no, of course it is, right? Like people have sway. Like history is not this immutable thing that just is what it is, right? Like it is the decision of individual people that make up a larger tapestry. Um, and I think it's a very, like, I think the book is very against checking out and becoming nihilistic <laughs> and, you know, losing yeah. yourself in moralizing or uh, insanity, right? There's a couple of characters who just go insane at the, you know, prospect of uh, of this or yeah. and nostalgia. You know. It's interesting that it it's... It's it doesn't lose itself in that nihilistic view and like completely pessimistic as well as nihilistic uh, mm -hmm. view yeah. without having any character that's like oh this one is the character that's doing it right like there is no mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. doing it right and people can try and maybe uh, Night Owl and Silk uh, well no she's not Silk Spectre what's uh, Miss Jupiter mm -hmm. Wait, yeah. which one is she? yeah Miss yeah. Jupiter can yeah, yeah. like try and maybe they're on their way to to doing something better but who knows and like there's no yeah, there is no central protagonist character that is the right way of doing it, which is why why it works. Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, I mean, <laughs> I, I don't want to, like, get too much into, like, you know, just trashing the way that, like, stories get written now. Um, but it does stand in stark contrast to, like, a lot of the way that, like, especially superhero media is now, where it's just like, well, here's the lesson, you know? Like, I'm here to teach you yeah. a lesson, and I'm here to tell you like you know reinforce some kind of moral worldview here there's none of that like yeah. it's messy and i think he has stuff he's talking about but like it, it does not land on a neat conclusion anywhere i mean there are plenty of stuff that like is rorschach right at the end to want to you know like tell the world about this about ozymandias because in the reflection like it might be easy to say ozymandias you know killing all these people in new york to halt nuclear disaster okay well it seems like it's working but you know what for 10 years maybe right like yeah. is it really happening do, do we just need to sacrifice you know like two million people every decade <laughs> in order to keep the rest of the world from obliteration if that is that the calculus that makes this okay um i don't think so and even the, <laughs> i don't know the decision like, by the uh, the other characters to like say nothing or say what his men just did like more ways than saying whether they're right or not to 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 not uh, admit what they what they witnessed. Like, mm -hmm. yeah, it's an impossible decision, and it's like it's very f not fun isn't the right word, but it's very interesting that that's the moment where they actually have the fate of the world in Some their heads, agency, yeah. hands in yeah. a way, in the way they wanted to since the beginning. But once they're there, they just don't want anything to do with that choice like it's terrifying them to have to make that actual choice which is very mm, that's very ironic and yeah, uh, hypocritical almost uh, idea yeah that's really interesting right like i mean it kind of leads back into what i'm saying about like a, a lack of imagination about what the world is or could be yeah <laughs> because once it's actually revealed to them the enormity of what that responsibility really is to change the world instead of just you know beating up kids on a, a street corner and thinking you're like changing the world for the better uh yeah then... because ozymandias like sh actually shapes the world to fit into the narrative where a small group of people can change the world but it's a horrifying situation it's a terrible situation that no one would want and that doesn't actually make the world better mm -hmm. because there's no yeah. scenario where shaping the world to be decided by five people is a good thing in any way mm -hmm. yeah 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 that's that's really interesting um I, and i like <laughs> something I, I 
grabbed onto this time with uh, Ozymandias is the obsession of the Gordian knot and, you know, Alexander yeah. cutting through the Gordian knot. And I think it's really, it's a really, it, as a teenager, I was like, oh yeah, cool. <laughs> you know, lateral thinking. Like, and now I'm just like, yeah, but he broke the rope. <laughs> like, it's not yeah. actually a solution. Uh, he, he cut the rope in half. Like, good. Yeah, you you solved the problem. But, you know, like it's, uh, I, I think it's it's kind of an apt thing like he doesn't comment yeah. on it but i think it's, it's a, an interesting an idea that like comparison. cutting the golden notes isn't actually a, the solution like it just makes it worse. Uh, when i was uh, 18 in high school i read a like alternate timeline story where basically alexander spends like months alone in a room trying to solve the golden nuts mm-hmm. and he actually does it and so it leads to a universe where his empire actually lasts thousands of years, like implying that cutting the golden nut is failing the test, mm, uh, mm-hmm. which is like exactly what's happening here in, in watching. Like the Ozymandias is con- so convinced that there is a easy an easy solution that can be done by one man that he doesn't see that that's that's actually how he fails, how mm-hmm. he fails the world. Yeah, um, I mean the thing is, I, you also don't walk away being like. Yeah, he totally failed. It's it's kind of up in the air, right? Like he committed yeah. this mass murder and Dr. Manhattan leaves him with this feeling of like, oh wait, I didn't fix it? Like he's so sure that he just fixed the world, which I, I like what you wrote here in the notes about uh, like the idea that uh, it relies on the short side idea there can be an end point where everything is fixed forever, right? Because yeah. that's, you think because about like, it for two seconds. Once again, and that's... Like, that's yeah, how it works in superhero stories. They have an right. end, and mm-hmm. by that end, everything is resolved. But this, if Watchmen is supposed to be a depiction of not the real world, but a real world, that's not how that world can be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I think yeah. that's like a really interesting ending to this where everybody is just feeling like, again, a little helpless <laughs> in the uh, the the uh, the shadow of, of all these happenings. Um what else did I want to talk about? I mean, I, I appreciate one thing that I do think he uh, subverts a little here, especially by the end. And I, I think it doesn't become clear until the full picture is revealed is that there's no villain here. Um, yeah. I don't even think Ozymandias is the villain of this. I think he is just facing the same anxiety and fear and trying to fight the same things that everybody else is. He's just doing it on a much larger scale. But that is that is like classic supervillain stuff in the modern age of kind of like... Uh, I mean, Ultron being like, humans are a parasite on the world and they're self-destructing, so I need to wipe out, you know, most of humanity in order to save it, right? Or Thanos, right? Like, I'm going to cut humanity in half to save itself, uh, that kind of thing. So that's like a very interesting thing. But I think unlike those things, like, those stories generally are just like, yeah, but he's killing people, so he's bad. That means it's bad and wrong. I don't think, like, Moore is applauding it, but I also don't think he's absolutely damning Ozymandias here. I think he might be sneering at his naivete a little bit, but like, I also don't think that it's just this, you know, I I don't think it's nearly as black and white, right? Like, yeah, we agree with your... And I don't think he's damning it. I think he's damning him in part, but not more than he's damning Rorschach. Yeah. Because he, Rorschach is doing the exact same thing, just on a smaller scale. Totally. Um, totally. Yeah, right. Well, he's just going to impose his will upon the world based on his own moral structure. yeah. Yeah. Um, so, okay, let's talk about the, the superhero aspect of this a little bit. We didn't get into, like, the history, and, you know, most people probably know this already, but, like, Alan Moore originally was going to use, um, Charlton Comics, which is, uh, an old comic book 
publisher that went from like the 40s to the 80s and then I think got bought by DC. You wanted to use all these heroes like, oh boy, uh, who is there? It's like Blue Beetle and... Uh, I think you just said one of the only ones that is, wouldn't have been in the, Blue... in the comic. Peacemaker is comedian. Peacemaker, um, yeah. Dr. Okay. Manhattan is Captain Adam. Yeah, who are all like DC. Comedian. Like, it's funny because oh, I don't. I, oh, sorry. I just think of them as DC people now. Yeah, Black Canary. Yeah. Uh, I think. Or she's just DC. I don't know. God. Anyway, Phantom Lady. Phantom Lady, maybe. I'm, I'm on the Wikipedia. Yeah. Oh, Blue Beetle might, ha- might have been Night Owl. Yes. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Because he's got the big blue yeah, ship. They would yeah. have been the, like, those classic Charlton Comics characters, which I think two things. If the Watchmen had been with those characters, I don't think they could have been ever used again as like regular DC characters like that just doesn't fit together but I do think the comic would have still worked perfectly because it works as a superhero comic even if you forget the subversion part like it is a good superhero comics with interesting superhero like characters Mm -hmm. I think the comic would have perfectly worked with those characters although it does probably help that they were more free to create characters that were like thematically totally made for the comic. Like yeah, Dr. Yeah. Manhattan being created as a callback to the Manhattan project, the comedian like being having the, his whole theme of the joke and playing a role, uh, like all that is, I uh, think works probably instead better, of trying but I do to think fit it those, has worked well. Yeah, and trying yeah. instead of trying to fit the Charlton characters into this mold, he can perfectly create the mold uh and fill it with the heroes that he wants i i agree i think i'm sure he would have found a way to make it work but i'm glad that they just did their own thing i I can't remember it was uh giordano uh who was uh like i think the editor at the time like like the idea but then like almost twisted moore's arm into just making his own characters and it's funny because it's like it feels like reading interviews at the time with moore he says stuff then that i'm like Alan Moore now would like scoff at that, right? Like he's, I think he's grown as an artist and changed his view on like superheroes and comics enough. Like uh, here's a, here's a line. Moore had initially believed that original characters would not provide emotional resonance for the readers, but later changed his mind. Uh, I think the idea of him thinking that like having a built in context and emotionally emotional connection to these characters, like it seems like a shortcut right? Being like, well, I want to tell a story with characters that people already know because they'll be immediately emotionally involved with them. That's like such an impulse now of like, yeah, Batman movie, like people already know who Batman is and they're invested in Batman. We don't have to lay the groundwork to make you care about him. You already care about him because he's Batman. Yeah. So like, (laughs) it's interesting to see how much of it is him like taking a shortcut or wanting to take a shortcut and how much is him like rightfully not trusting superhero genses to <laughs> to care about new characters because they just don't yeah that's a, that's um, an interesting point too sure yeah um we haven't talked about the art uh this is dave gibbons another british yeah, we haven't. uh a british artist who i think did a ton of like yeah. he did stuff with alan moore in the past he did 2000 ad and he did um like marvel uk stuff i don't know his work i'm trying to think of other stuff i know his work from and I, I swear I've read some stuff with him, but I can't place it. Uh, I mean, he's got a big, long... He did he did the um, that Frank Miller comic, um, The Life and Times of Martha Washington in the 21st Century. I know that's, like, pretty notable. Besides that, I haven't read that much more Gibbons, I don't think. Um, we should talk about the nine-panel grid. 
That's a big Gibbons thing here. Uh, it's incredible. <laughs> I mean, it's Gibbons and yeah. Alan Moore. It's a throwback, right? Like, he, he's using it in a throwback to the, like, golden and silver age uh, of but he also superhero uses comics. It's in such a different way that it's hard mm-hmm. to to fully make that comparison to me at least well it, it's uh, taking like... it and then uh, it, it it's like an interesting use of like forcing yourself to you be limited in what you're going to do and then like through that challenge bursting out of the like limitations of the format if that makes sense right like using using the limitations to your advantage um because it, it's yeah. remarkable like it you know a million this is, this is something like nerds love to do and especially comic nerds and we'll actually talk about this when we talk about Kieran Gillen's um, Peter Cannon Thunderbolt in a couple months because that comic is like talking a lot about the nine panel grid like metatextually um, but the way that he uses it, it I mean we read a bunch of nine panel grid with like Jack Kirby right and a bunch of the Silver Age stuff yeah. it, it, it's interesting how like Ditko I think used it pretty well to like have a nice flow to his comics and the panel layout and such but like Kirby I love Kirby but those just read as a long series of panels like the way that the panels are placed together is not particularly used right like here's three panels side by side what can you do in these three panels so they have a relationship to one another how can you make the page tie together how can you make you know the moment by moment beat by beat of these panels work most effectively um it's something like you don't actually see that much of in these like classic Silver Age comics, um, and uh, and Gibbons and Moore do so much with it. Uh, you you have an interesting note here. I don't want to steal your thunder, but uh, what you wrote about the nine panels. Uh, why did I read about? <laughs> I remember writing something about the nine panels. This this one here. I'm gonna <laughs> highlight it on your notes down at the bottom. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. And it's the thing I just thought like right before we started recording is that the the way the nine panel grid works as like a stable structure we follow through the, throughout the whole the whole thing. Even mm-hmm. when it breaks, like when four panels are fused together in like one big panel, mm-hmm. and the way he uses that uh, in very interesting ways. And like the very I can't remember. Oh God, I can't remember. Does Dave Gibbons do the colors, or is there no? A specific it's colorist? it's um, John Higgins. John Higgins, yeah. Yep. The the color palette that is used is very interesting. I wouldn't even know how to describe the like the specific kinds of colors he's interest he's using, but it creates a you feel like you're viewing the the world of Watchmen through stained glass, and it really mm-hmm. makes me think of like stained glass windows in the way they're used to tell a story in like churches. Yeah, like the yeah, yeah. old churches, they tell old biblical stories, stuff like that. And it really makes me think of that. Of Yeah, and I don't even, I, I don't even have like a further analysis of it, of what, how exactly it adds to the well, story, he, but it's a very interesting. You're right in that like the color, the coloring that lends so much to like unifying the page. It's something, you know, yeah. like I love is to be able to like, you know, e- even if the panels are not tied together with the drawings to be able to like pull back and just say like on a color theory level that all these panels tie together into one thing because he'll you know have a mood of red to this page and even when there's a multitude of other colors like you can tell like he just makes sure there's a little red in every color like everything's tinted just a little red or maybe a little yellow like it's just masterfully composed so that everything feels really soothing it's not jarring if it is jarring it's intentional like um, I really like what you said, though. Like it kind of feels like a tapestry yeah, and because of that. S- yeah, 
And like the, it's interesting when he sometimes uses the, like you have one page that's a nine panel grid and like the, the cross, which is to say the, the four corners and the middle panel will be one scene and the four other panels will be another scene. Mm-hmm. And he'll use like one of those scenes will have very red colors and maybe the other one will have more yellow greenish colors. So you have you can clearly differentiate the two scenes and read them very cleanly, but they both come together very well on the page. And I don't know if we want to talk about it right now, if we want to wait a little. Maybe that's part of why I don't like the Tales of the Black Freighter part so much, because I feel like the colors are more muddy and mm-hmm. don't yeah, let, let's hold clash off on that, well enough together I, with, I the, wanna... with the rest of the comic in yeah. a way that I like. I can't... I don't know, I, it's less clean to read through and like my mind jumps over it more easily and I yeah. can't focus on what's actually going on on the Black Freighter part, so I just kind of skip them. I totally I, I totally agree. Uh, I, let, let's, hold, let's put a pin in that because I want to finish talking about the like nine panel yeah. grid and stuff. I like what you pointed out, the color palette going back and forth because some of these, a lot of these issues are told out of order, like temporarily. So you get past and present back bouncing back and forth and like it's incredible i mean it's hard it's hard to even express without like i mean it's hard to just talk about and not show but the way that the rhythm of having these set nine panels go back and forth between the past and the present bouncing in this like writing i mean it's excellent editing to put it in film terms right and it's one of these things where like editing is more than a trick just to get you from scene to scene or to like keep the scene interesting it's a way to here's two images how can we heighten their meaning by putting them right next to each other so like more is incredible at this transition and by the juxtaposition of images you know highlighting things about one that you wouldn't have thought if these two disparate images weren't side by side um but he also like that's not the trick with this there's other tricks where it just will be like the opening shot is a zoom in on that button of the comedian's and then every panel after this is just the camera pulling slowly back and it's one long shot, right? Like to continually put it in camera terms, it's one shot as the camera just moves back or just saying yeah. like, I want to establish a mood. This is the place and this is the vibe of this place. And here's nine images that just give you an aesthetic of this place. Nine separate images of Rorschach's process of breaking into a place. All right. And it's not yeah. one continual shot, but it's just... Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, the way that he uses it to show process is really interesting. He does that with Ozymandias yeah, and, later. And yeah. and using using all the lines you can trace through a nine-panel grid to, to tell that, to, like, cut between different scenes. Like, you can use a page where, like, the top left to bottom right diagonal is, is going to be one thing and the rest of the panels are going to be another. Mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. there's one where I think it's... Dr. Manhattan's ex is talking to a journalist and every panel on the left column is like her and we're in the point of view of the journalist like interviewing her. And then the middle and right columns are like, I think her relationship with Dr. Manhattan or stuff like that, like an other scene that like comments or furthers what she's saying, what she's talking about. Like it's really interesting how he structures he being i don't don't know how like how much of the structure is more and how much is 
Gibbons or just them working together. So I guess I think it's they, a lot they of more to be to be fair yeah. because I was reading uh, Gibbons being like, yeah, I basically just you know did what he wrote with a few exceptions. He would be like, I mean, I, I think Gibbons definitely weighed in, but uh, he would be like, what what did he say? There was one thing I read. Uh, yeah, despite Moore's detailed scripts, his panel descriptions would often end with the note, if that doesn't work for you, do what works best. Gibbons nevertheless worked yeah. Moore's instructions. <laughs> In fact, Gibbons only suggested a single change to the script, uh, a compression of Ozymandias' narration while he was preventing a sneak attack by Rorschach as he felt the dialogue was too long to fit in with the amount of action expressed. Moore agreed and rewrote the scene. So, like, but, yeah. but then, you know, Gibbons also is the designer of all these characters, which, like, incredible classic designs. Um and and filled up yeah. uh, the the background details, which is a really fun touch. Uh, a million little background details yeah. that Moore had no idea about. But it but it it kind of makes sense because it there is so much storytelling that is put into just how the panels are ordered, mm-hmm. which is kind of impressive. Like it, yeah. kind of impressive. Like it goes through like what's inside the panels and how, like the the how the stories go through. But like yeah, how much it. A lot of those pages would work completely differently if those panels weren't is in that exact order, even though they theoretically could be and still tell the same story. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, very, very yeah. interesting and very like impressive how you can tell that many stories in a single sequence of, of pages and, and make it feel effortless, mixing all those mm-hmm. panels and still being very readable. Oh, inc- like incredibly readable. That's. I mean, it also helps. Yeah. Like his writing is very natural. It's very like how people speak. Uh, it doesn't. You know, it's not your standard superhero exposition that you know is clunky and like reading. You know, a Wikipedia page. Um, obviously. Uh, let's see what else. What else I want to talk about here? Um, before we get into the tales of the black <laughs> freighter. <laughs> Um, um, Len Wein uh, was uh, an editor on this, which I think is really interesting, uh, who we know from Marvel Comics. And he quit on issue number 12, which is really funny to me, uh, <laughs> because he hated the Ozymandias twist at the end of Ozymandias, like, unifying the world through this destruction of New York, because there was an old episode of the TV show Outer Limits that did a similar thing with nuclear bombs. Oh, okay. <laughs> um... <laughs> <laughs> so like the uh like he so objected to it what he thought was like a lazy copycat idea that he quit the the comic okay um, that's because that part of it i think works perfectly and it's very on point with what everything moe is saying mm-hmm. i want i want to ask you like the specific i did it 30 minutes ago scene where like he's doing his whole monologue of explaining everything he wants to do and Night Owl, and I can't remember who's with him, is like, Rorschach, wow, and, yeah. but when would you have done that? Like, if we hadn't stopped you and um, Ozymandias was on... Oh, I, I already did it. I wouldn't tell you my whole plan if, if I hadn't. Mm-hmm. Like, it, I found it a bit too, I don't know, cute. But yeah. also, like, it's just because it's it's been overplayed so much since 1987. Like, it's hard for me to put myself in the mind of, like reading this for the first time and maybe if i if i did read this for the first time in 1987 it would have a bigger impact is it just like that i'm too far removed for it or like it's actually it's actually kind of too cute i i can see what you're saying about it being like a little like it i mean it feels less uh i mean i guess superhero supervillains do this tie up the bad or tie up the hero and then like monologue about their plan 
and then the heroes yeah. stop them. I think it's it's maybe where the comics gets more. Uh, we're we're literally going to invert the superhero trope just for the sake of it. It's like almost more of a I James Bond what trope. What that adds though. to it. <laughs> That's yeah. like the classic James Bond joke too. Yeah, it's like tying up James Bond and then like leaving him alive. I mean that it also how many times in Marvel comics did we see it? Like I could kill you now if I chose, but instead I'll revel in telling you my master plan, right? Yeah. So yeah, yeah, sure I can see that. It, like it works to me just cuz I think it's like Ozymandias. Like the execution just works, so I'm not I'm not too flustered yeah, by it, but I I do, I do I do see what you're saying. It is it is one of the more like on the nose, you know, like him specifically taking aim at like a trope and uh and like winking at it so yeah i agree but i think the moment the moment itself is impactful enough that like i uh, there's something interesting about the way that like just really good execution of this comic overall and the tone being so tight and consistent like lets you forgive stuff that you think in a weaker comic would seem glib and obvious so like when we're seeing the uh the destruction of New York City at the end, there's like this band that's been talked about throughout a few times called Pale Horse. <laughs> and like you see the destruction of a stadium and, you know, corpses littered everywhere. And it's like Pale Horse sold out. And, you know, the uh, Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse, like Death Rides a Pale Horse. It's a pretty obvious. I-, I can just see a 2000s Marvel writer doing something like that and me rolling my eyes at being like, oh my God, you think you're yeah. so clever, huh? But like, <laughs> the, the, there's something about the way that like it pulls it off here uh that it doesn't feel like you just never get uh, at least i don't i don't feel like Moore's winking at me and trying to show off you know yeah. that he like look i get these stories and i'm trying to make you feel smart for getting them too uh it just feels like a fun reference i guess um yeah 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 also uh more does even reference outer limits as kind of a like um an admission that he knows that there's another, like, there's a story that did a similar thing. Like, at the end, Silk Spectre's mother is um, is watching The Outer Limits, and you can, like, see it on the TV in the back. Um, yeah. But you know what? Like, it's being something that's already been done in a work of fiction kind of works with it, because it's like... Even Ozymandias's big obsession, big with reveal TV. plan <laughs> is just... is still a fictional thing that already exists and is... is a, f- like flowed way to to try and fix the world because once again it's just trying to fit the world into a fictional thing which doesn't yeah. work you can apply you can't apply like a a s- fictional story points to to an actual real life uh, <laughs> plan i guess yeah that's really interesting i hadn't really thought about it in that term of you know like the characters almost imposing a view of like comic books like a comic book worldview onto their world right that's 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 a really yeah. interesting like way of viewing this again like i do feel like this book is it's like stupid to say <laughs> it's like stupid to talk about watchmen and be like you know this book is really good <laughs> like <laughs> it's so obvious and like overpraised right it's yeah. but it's not overpraised <laughs> have you ever eaten have you ever ever eaten fries they're really good right <laughs> salty savory like you just can't (laughs) believe how good this is but you like you feel like you could read this once a decade and walk away with an entirely new perspective on it like when i was talking to somebody about this yesterday they were like watchmen is about getting older and watching like your era pass you by and i'm like well weird that's not really what i saw about from it at all uh but like you know maybe when i'm 46 uh 
and feel really alienated from culture <laughs> more than I do at 34, uh, maybe I will feel that more, right? Like maybe that's something yeah. that I'll like really connect with the same way that when I was, you know, 20 and reading this or whatever, I didn't connect with the feeling of despair about the way that the world just is, you know, grinding us all to dust, <laughs> right? Like, yeah, uh, it does. It, it's a rich enough work that, um, Oh. You know, I think there's... What does that say about me that I do feel that at 22? <laughs> yeah, I think it says that the world has uh, gotten worse that teenagers yep. can't uh, easily ignore it. Amazing. The, I mean, the other the other thing I want to point out, because we're talking about superhero subversions, and I think we're going to be talking about comics that are much more like... I, I don't know. I, I mean, we did somewhat avoid like um, Irredeemable by Mark Wade. I think that might be in our poll for listeners, though. So maybe we'll read it, which is really just like, what if super, Superman went bad? Like, what if he was a bad guy and an in unstoppable force turned bad? Right. I mean, you know, yeah. at the time, at least, I, I don't want to trash it too much. Like, I, no, I, I know, I've I read know. some irredeemable. It's okay. Um, it's decent, and I don't think it was quite as worn out of an idea. It's maybe a little tired, but like, that is not what you get from this book. Or at least, what I get from this book, I think, like, he's doing references. He's doing superhero like reflection upon it, right? But like what matters here is the characters, right? And it's not even like themes. Like I, I think the themes are really strong here, but like I think really at the core of this and what makes this a great work is that these are people and these are humans that you connect to and understand even if you were repelled by them. Like Rorschach had some real yeah. moments of like sympathy for me here, despite the fact that he's really monstrous. <laughs> like he's a, a very nasty man, um, but he's not a caricature and he's not just a means to like, push a, a plot or push a theme through right like i think more really views all these as you know these are people um and i think that's what really like cements this as a, a great work um and more than just kind of like you know to be reductive about like other subversive superhero subversive comics like nerd bait to be like you know the tropes i'm subverting them like deadpool right and like there's fun to be had and i don't want to like trash it too much like there is fun to be like watch deadpool and be like oh this is you know thumb in its nose at what superheroes normally are um but like uh, i think you know this is the reason this comic is so well revered and still talked about so much yeah and i don't think you can like part of it is he creates a world that is incredibly well built and that feels like an actual world and you could never do that if you start from the point of I'm gonna invert superheroes or subvert superheroes because if you do that you're still creating a world based on the idea that superheroes are a real thing mm -hmm. which I don't think Moore is doing in any way like because this yeah once again I don't think he's writing a story about superheroes he's writing a, super, a story about people who think they are superheroes who want to be superheroes who convince themselves they can be superheroes, even though that's not a thing that anyone in the real world can be. Totally. I mean, yeah. Like, that's that's really, um, that's really sharp. I think he's writing a story about, not about superheroes. Because, I mean, you know, you read Marvel comics and how often are you like, oh, like, I see this. I see, this is the real world. I see it. Sometimes you see it trying to reflect the real but, world, but it's always so filtered. Like, very rarely do I... And it's always still detached from yeah. real world and the way real people work, like, even when in Marvel you see people that are regular people that do don't have powers, they still work in, like, they, they still work as part of a superhero world, even when they don't interact with super with superheroes yeah, yeah. in a way that 
any character in Watchmen feels like a real person that could exist in our world. Yeah, it's layering us. It's layering superheroes over us rather than, you know, like our world being layered over superheroes, if that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> right? So, like, I think yeah. that, that makes all the difference. And, you know, Moore's, Moore's a guy who, like, is interested in humans and he's interested in people and, like, you know, he's a very, like, empathetic kind of guy. And I think you can, like, really tell. Because, like, I see myself in a lot of these characters, right? I can, like... I see myself in Night Owl to some degree in Laurie, right? Like Night Owl in like just trying to, you know, distract yourself with the the past and when things used to be happier and Laurie with like cynicism and sarcasm uh, just, you know, as a distraction. And I really see myself in the newsman, the guy, the, the news seller on the stand. I mean, that's the guy that I like particularly relate to. Maybe not the homophobia <laughs> or like the discomfort <laughs> with uh, the lesbians, yep. but the the... He talks a lot about, like, how, like, he sees it all and, you know, no one else sees it and he, like, understands it and, like, but to him it's something to, like, be a witness to and to, like, comment upon and to internalize and to to grapple with internally, right? But it's not something to struggle against. And I think that's a really common feeling. It's a, it's a very familiar feeling for me, you know, where, like... Yeah, the world is going to hell in a handbasket. Like, what can I do about it? Well, I'll stay informed. I'll feel like I have a grapple on it. And I feel like it's important. As long as I understand what's happening, then at least I feel not so, like, out to sea about it. But, like, really, I'm not making a difference. I'm not doing anything about it. Um, I think that's, like, a very, very common feeling how he, like, expresses that. Yeah. Um, yeah, let's talk about Tales of the Black Freighter a bit. Um <laughs> It's a really contentious part of this comic. I think it's a it kind of an ongoing co- issue or like uh, argument with this. Like, does it work? Does it not work? Is it uh, does it belong here? What's it doing? I felt this time I figured out what it was doing, and then I decided I don't think it works. <laughs> like, yeah, okay, because it's in the same way that it's weird to say Watchmen is amazing because yeah, obviously, obviously it is. It's also weird to criticize. Watchmen, because you're like, well, at least when I was reading it, I was like, oh, I don't think this works. But I'm reading Watchmen, so it has to work. I just don't understand why well, it works. It's, it's, it's a small aspect Which, to it, too. It's pretty easy to say yeah, this part is. doesn't work, and it's still a masterpiece. Like, Because it's also not... Yeah, absolutely. I don't think it's a disaster. I don't think Tales of the Black Freighter no, is no. like a miserable part of this comic. I, I just think yeah. it's not additive that much, to me at least. Yeah, um, I think I think we can maybe talk about it while also talking about the like addition, like back issue additional material that mm-hmm. there is at the end of every issue. If it was segregated into its own back material, then I would be have no yeah. issue with it. It's that it feels to me it feels superfluous. I get what it's trying to do thematically. It's just trying to give you another point of view. This is my take, and you know maybe I'm missing something big, but my take is it's giving you another worldview of dealing with. This feeling of absolute hopelessness on a smaller scale. This man's lost his family. He's out to sea. It's paralleling the feelings of these characters. And it's someone driven so insane by the idea that they've lost everything that they have or will lose everything that they end up like losing it themselves. <laughs> right? Like yeah. in the the inability to like not hyper obsess over the destruction. You cause the destruction that you um you know are so afraid of. Uh it just doesn't like deepen the theme for me and it feels like it kills yeah. the pacing. Uh, that's like my big 
concern is I'm, I'm mostly like, uh, okay, well, I'm, I guess I want to get through this because I'm so invested in what's really happening. Um, and it's not yeah, quite I, as engaging. I, I fully agree. And I think even visually, it doesn't, in the pages where it's told, I don't think it visually distanciates itself uh, well enough from the rest of the panels that it uh, makes for an easy read-through experience in the way like the rest of the comics does. Um, and it's interesting that it feels so superfluous in a way that the rest, like the actual back issue material doesn't. Like, I think a big part of why my reception to Watchmen was so different this time around is that I actually read every end of issue, everything about um, the, the former night out and the story of the, the Minute Man uh, and, like, how he's passed and everything. Like, that helps make them feel like very real characters mm-hmm. and Moore's prose helps a lot with that. Uh, I can't even remember most of what the the rest of the the back material was. It's letters for it's like like two weeks ago. Interview with Ozymandias. It's Ozymandias's like um, notes for like production and his like business notes. It's yeah, a lot of under the hood. There's a couple issues that have under the hood as their back material. I I think yeah, it's it's all interesting to me. I also don't think if you skip it or skim it, you really lose that much. Like. It sounds stupid to say because I don't want to be like, well, you don't, you know, like you're not going to miss out on plot. Like clearly you're not missing out on the plot and that's not the point is that you're getting plot. But like reading it all closely this time, I felt like it fleshed out the world to me, but it didn't largely like deepen the thematic resonance of stuff to me. It just kind of gave me more context for these characters and stuff. But it's it's still like it's good writing. Like the writing is good. The story, like that story, I think it's in the first under the hood thing about... Um, his childhood memory of the man who found out that his wife's cheating on him and he's wearing a pair of fake rubber breasts and everyone laughs at this man as he's like weeping because his wife has left him for another man um, and then he kills himself over it. Uh, it's really affecting. It's a it's a great story. Um, yeah. I just also like, I don't know. Uh, I'm not sure if I land on like comics doing this at like we just read earth x for my marvelous here it does a similar thing where it just wants to like flesh out the world through pages of prose at the end and part of me is kind of like yeah just do it in the comic though right like you you're doing writing a comic do it in the comic um so but you know yeah, that's interesting i think it it works way better for me here than it does in earth x and i think it and i think it works better for me than it did for you yeah because i feel like the the additional material actually added something for me uh, and like completed the the comic book reading experience uh, in a way that I don't know I I have a hard time imagining how it could have been actually integrating integrated into the comic for the most part yeah uh, or maybe yeah. the Omisiman just no no I I, I get what yeah. I get what you're saying I mean I and I agree like it it is not I I liked it like I like reading it I, I enjoyed it this time and I think I read it more most carefully this time compared to in the past um, it just does feel. It feels like an aside to me. It almost feels like bonus material rather than like part of the full text. Um, but, you know, it's just, I guess, it's just my bias on it. It also, I wanted to say, <laughs> Tales of the Black Freighter, Alan Moore in interviews have talked about like, well, it's a world of superheroes. They wouldn't be reading superhero comics. What would be popular for kids then? It would be pirate comics. Like, I'm just going to, you know, write a new world in which, you know, pirate comics are the, the hotness for teens. Um so to me, it feels like something else, a work of Alan Moore's I really love is League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, 
the first two volumes, and then you get the Black Dossier, <laughs> which is the third volume of it. And it's Alan Moore at his most, like, I just want to try my hand at a genre experiment. Like, I'm going to try to write a Shakespeare play. I'm going to try to write a fake sequel to this, like, British novel from the 1800s. I'm going to write 1910s British porn. <laughs> like, I, and I'm going to try to recreate it. And if you know that world, if you're as interested and sucked into that specific niche interest as I am, you're going to be so tickled by this because I'm, you know, playing with all these tropes and I'm recreating it so faithfully. But if you're not, you're kind of on the outside, maybe saying like, well, this seems like it will be interesting for someone. <laughs> uh, Black yeah. Friday has a little bit of that to me. Not that it's not interesting, but it, it feels a little bit more of a like like a formal experiment rather than a fully integrated element of the comic. I, mean, I guess the lesson here is to get really deep into 1910s uh, British porno. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's... Uh, yeah. some of Which that is going to be what our next episode is about. Some of that's <laughs> really interesting. I, I don't know how we would like fit it in, but reading League of Extraordinary Gentlemen would be... Uh, have you read that no. comic? <laughs> I genuinely thought you were going to say reading British porn would be very interesting. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how we can like... <laughs> How will I rationalize reading uh, old British porn? Yeah. Um, League of Extraordinary <laughs> Gentlemen, have you read that comic? <laughs> oh, God. You're going to hate me. Okay. I've watched the LXG film. <laughs> I haven't seen. I haven't read the comic. That's funny. The, it, I mean, <laughs> they're not even related. Like, half the characters no, in I the know. movie aren't I even know. in the comic. It's really funny. It's just... I'm still traumatized by the effects on Mr. Hyde, which is... It's been it's been a so while. I, I saw it in the theaters, yeah. but uh, not since. Okay, uh, any other thoughts about Watchmen? Uh, I am... I love it. Uh, I'm, I'm... I'm, like, almost surprised at my reaction to it. Because it's, you know, it's yeah. so highly rated by everybody. And I've never fully grappled with it until this time. And then I was like, man, damn. It's really... Yeah. It is that good. <laughs> yeah, I think... Yeah, it was a very interesting experience for me. Just, like, the last time I read it was five years ago. Which isn't that much in theory. But I was... It also means I was 17 the last time I read it. Yeah. And reading it as 17 and 22 is a very different experience. And I like, I kind of hope maybe I, I'll have a different experience reading it as like, at like 30. Like, uh, I'm excited to, to sing it. I mean, excited. I know I'm interested in seeing it in a, in a brand new, brand new point of view, I guess. Mm -hmm. And I'm hoping the next time I see it, I have again a, a French, fresh new eyes to, to read it. New French um, eyes, I think is what you meant to new say. New French eyes. Yep. <laughs> Um, yeah, and I think it, it also really helps to to have an understanding and a background of uh, Marvel comics and superhero comics in general that I didn't have last time, um, and it really helps me see a lot of the like behind the scenes, I guess, uh, how how more created that world in a way I, I would never had if I hadn't. I mean, without my models here, in a, in a way, if I hadn't had that journey into into Marvel comics. Hmm. Cool. Well, yeah, I, uh, I'm glad you did, even though it's funny because it's so based on DC comics and like the DC vibe. But yeah, I, yeah, I understand I mean, what you mean. I, I'm sure and I'm sure if we if we reread this uh, after we, we, we do my DC year, I'm sure it will be, uh, again, a, a very, very new and fun experience. Uh, let's talk about the legacy of this a little bit. Um, there has been a Zack Snyder film adaptation. Uh, there has been a HBO sequel series to this and then in comics um there have been a bunch of prequel series called before watchmen there have been an integration of the this whole thing <laughs> into the dc universe 
called like Doomsday Clock. And there has been a sequel series called Rorschach by Tom King that uh, just came out recently. Which uh, which one of those have you engaged with? I've read before Watchmen. I think the last time I read Watchmen, which is a few years ago, I don't remember most of it, but I remember being like, oh, this is, I guess, fine superhero comics, but it didn't it didn't feel like Watchmen in any way. It, feel, it felt kind of diluting it, uh, which like <laughs> feels very gatekeepy of me to say, but yeah, I don't know. Well, it, Fine, so, but very unnecessary. I mean, the, the thing about Moore, he did not want... I mean, these are his properties. I mean, they're not legally his properties. That's the, the problem. Uh, DC owns it. So, you know, despite his wishes to not have a movie and a sequel and a <laughs> TV show, etc., it all went ahead. Which is true of like literally like six or seven Alan Moore projects that they all have adaptations and sequels that he is just like so disinterested I mean, in every comic book some more thing. Something we're gonna I read think. later, uh that's it's kind of funny, is in Miracle Man, if you buy the new collected editions of Miracle Man, he's so aggravated by um the way that like Marvel has treated his property uh, or his work that he asked his name to be removed. So if you go on and look like you want to buy Alan Moore's run of Miracle Man, you can do it. There's a new omnibus that is just about to come out and we're going to cover everything in it. It doesn't have his name in it <laughs> even once. It just says the original writer, I think is what it says. Cause yeah. he wants his name uh, totally off of it. He doesn't have his name in the yeah. credits of the movies, like he, which I love. I love for him. He's, he's such like a principled guy <laughs> just to be like, yeah, go off and make a ton of money. I don't want anything to do with it. Don't put my name on it. Like, I'm not interested in the fame yeah. or whatever. Um, he's he's great. Like, the same thing is happening to Miracle Man. Like, Miracle Man is being integrated into the Marvel Universe. Mm -hmm. I think by Neil Gaiman? Um, who who had an original that, yeah. pitch for it uh, forever ago. But uh, yeah. it, anyway, um, I, I will say, I don't think Alan Moore created Miracle Man. I think he came onto it later. So, like... I, I don't think that's quite... I mean, they might, unless they're directly basing it off of his stuff, which they might. I'm not, you know, well-versed on it. Um, that is one thing that he didn't make. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, I've heard before Watchmen is pretty superfluous and unnecessary. I have not read it. Uh, yeah, the it Watchmen <laughs> movie is hilarious. Uh, I love the description of the Watchmen movie as being like a shot-for-shot -shot remake of the comic that still somehow entirely misses the point. <laughs> <laughs> like incredibly faithful but then yep. also just completely misses the core idea the idea that Zack snyder uh a i guess liberal leaning libertarian is going to adapt this movie that <laughs> or this comic that like clearly has this vein of like leftist uh, uh to anarchist political leanings it's pretty funny and also the idea that the movie ends with a nuclear bomb instead of an alien thing which is such a cop-out is uh, is really yeah. weird to me. It feels like it totally misses like the point of uh, of what the end of this comic yeah, was doing. Fitting a fully fictional universe into a real world, and he's just instead of doing. Oh no, it's not realistic enough. But, yeah, that's the point, man. Yeah, it's very um, <laughs> very strange. Um, yeah, Doomsday the, Clock. The, before, uh, the the Watchmen series. Yeah, well, what I think Doomsday Clock. I've not read of them introducing oh, yeah, like these characters into DC. I've heard it's not very good. Uh, I have not. I've not read it. And then the Watchmen TV series, I quite like, uh, actually. I think it does a good job of trying to separate itself from this Watchmen and, like, become its own thing. I don't think it's fully successful, and I don't think it's nearly as successful 
having a discussion of like the racial politics is maybe some people yeah. make it out to be uh, i think it's not bad but i think it's actually riveting tv uh politics aside and is uh, is pretty fun I, I really i really liked it you know you kind of got to s- separate yeah. it from like alan moore's disdain for it and <laughs> be like okay well i understand why he's frustrated and upset and sympathize with it i still watched it but so. it's so good yeah it's very good um yeah with some very fun actors in it like that casting in in that oh, series is the casting is incredible. incredible. Oh yeah, like yeah, yeah. Yaya Abdul Mateen, uh, so good, so good is uh, yeah. well, I don't even want to yeah. tell you who he is because and Jeremy Irons as Ozymandias is is great. Uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> those are my favorite parts. It's really he's funny. Incredible Ozymandias. So mm-hmm. he's a perfect Ozymandias. Yep, I I agree. Um, so yeah, I, I quite like that. Uh, you know, it, it, yeah, again, it's tough to it's tough to want to like praise this stuff too much, but also like. I could make a protest by not watching it for Alan Moore, but you know that's kind of a <laughs> stupid, hollow thing to do. Uh, I did. Read... I don't think he like really cares about people. No, I don't watching think it so. That. Have you ever seen the yeah. um, the Simpsons episode that he guest starred on? Zach, I've told you that I haven't seen a single episode of Simpsons in my life. <laughs> Ridiculous. There's a really funny one where him and a couple other comic creators. I can't. It might be Frank Miller. Um, or at a I, comic. Think, I, I do think I've seen like Alan Moore as a Simpson. Yeah, like, well, he's about. there and uh, Milhouse comes up and he's like, Mr. Moore, will you sign my copy of Watchmen Babies? <laughs> Which is a really good joke of the way that his like <laughs> properties have been uh, you know, spoiled in his eyes. Oh, I love that. Um, yeah. And it's a really funny yeah. drawing of like all the Watchmen as little toddlers. Uh, the last thing is Rorschach by Tom King, which yeah. I think is totally competent and kind of interesting and i'm not quite sure why it is connected to watchmen um yeah it, okay. <laughs> it it's pretty interesting and it, it does try to like be its own thing uh it's not just riding the coattails of watchmen enough that it's its own thing that i feel like you could have just made it someone besides rorschach and it would have worked i guess maybe i'm missing you could, ha- you could have but... made it the question to piece off ditko instead of i don't know <laughs> Well, yeah, I, I don't want to get into it too much, but it does. Yeah, it gets into some weird muddy waters with like comic creators and stuff. It's interesting. Um, yeah. I don't know if it's a it's not my favorite Tom King thing by a mile, but it's uh, it's certainly it, it's it's worth checking out if you're interested. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I think that's the uh, that's the legacy of this comic, at least as far as, you know, sequels and prequels and all that stuff. Um. I mean, I think the true legacy of this comic is the I'm tired of Earth, this people uh, meme. <laughs> Which well, is, there's a. T- it's funny. I the love last all few, the declinations of it. The last few years, a bunch of memes have popped up out of this. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the uh, uh, I just <laughs> just saw one. No, I can't repeat it. Never mind. I just saw a dirty one. No, do it. Slack. Uh, it's it's not that dirty. It's the um, Rorschach at the very end with Doctor Manhattan <laughs> being like, "Did you know Steve Job died of ligma?" And then. <laughs> <laughs> That thing, and then he pulls the punchline on uh, Doctor Manhattan, and Doctor Manhattan evaporates him. <laughs> uh, incredible! Yeah, it's pretty good. Um, yep, I love that. Yeah, lots, lots of meme. I mean, it's got, obviously has cultural staying power. It's still, you know, Dave yeah. on Comic Book Herald I mean, is listed more than any. This is number one. More than any other comic, at least like directly. Like a lot of comics have staying power in general consciousness, like via ad- movie adaptations. Mm-hmm. Watchmen, like directly panels from the original comic have become memes mm-hmm. a lot of them which is like a rare thing for comics especially one that's like almost 40 years old yeah uh, 35 yeah. but it's i mean it, it's also like it's pretty timeless like i'm saying like i might not be worried about the cold war you know sending nuclear bombs over us uh like they were at the time 
but I am concerned about climate change. I am concerned about, you know, the never-ending American uh, military incursion on other countries and the blowback that has, you know, etc., etc., etc. Like, uh, there, there are stuff there, there. There's stuff that's like, okay, well, this was a concern of the 80s. And then there's stuff like the comedian is, quote, knocking over Marxist republics in South America. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that, you know, that's constantly still happening. That's still a very timely and uh, pertinent thing. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's <laughs> it's incredible. I don't know if we can just uh, no, and I just keep saying that. So let's wrap it I mean, up. I think we we couldn't we can never say that. Oh, that's it. We've we've said everything we had to say. Oh yeah, I mean, we, Watchmen, we could come back once like a year, months. <laughs> we, we could read this once a year, yeah. and I'm sure we'd have like a pretty new conversation uh, each time. I think. Yeah. So. Um, so thank you for listening to Extra Issues, this is our first episode. So this is a, a, you know, you're probably listening to this. Let's see. Let me let me explain this. Uh, this is coming out six months early on Patreon.com for our $5 backers. So if you are listening to this on our public feed, you have six months of episodes waiting for you on Patreon. If you're listening to this on Patreon and you're already a backer, thank you. We appreciate it. Uh, if you could please spread the word about the show. I think... Um, my Marvelous Year has a little bit of a buy-in for people who are interested in Marvel Comics and they find this podcast because they're like, I want to start reading Marvel Comics, but I don't know where to find. Let me Google. They find our podcast. This one, I think, might be a little harder to like get the word out. So um, we'd really appreciate the word of yeah. mouth. And, uh, and I think it's it can also be easier to recommend as single episodes. Mm, like totally. for, for my Marvels here, like... You, you can start at the have, beginning. I guess, to, to read <laughs> start at the beginning and go through it. That's the point of the Rating Club. Mm-hmm. With extra issues, if you have a friend that just likes the boys and is interest, interested in the boys and mostly in that, you can just recommend them the, the, the boys episodes. Yeah, and, and you can jump in and out, you know. You can think of. Oh, I want to read Watchmen and Planetary. I'm not interested in the boys. I'm not interested in, you know, these other comics. Like, yeah. I, I think it's much easier to just kind of... Uh, you know, yeah. play along with whatever yeah, you, you want. You just won't know about the the very deep and detailed lore we're gonna develop uh, over the, the next few episodes. Uh, this, this is like a, a extra issues extended universe. <laughs> That's true. Did you say devil up? <laughs> devil up. I don't know what you I said. said the lore we're that. gonna devil up. That's what I heard. Develop. I think. Oh, Maybe. develop. Develop. You. I don't know what I said. You said develop. Okay. Sorry. I don't think I said develop, but I don't know what I said. Yeah, I, I'm not. I'm, not trying to make fun of you, but just making fun of you. <laughs> um, all right. I think that's going to do it. Next uh, next month, we're going to be covering Planetary by uh, Warren Ellis and John Cassidy on art. Uh, it is, like I said, it's on, uh, it's probably on Hoopla. I should double check that before these things, but it's definitely on DC Universe Infinite, the subscription service for DC. Uh, it's also on other web pages, as are all comics that we read. Uh <laughs> <laughs> maybe normally I wouldn't be so like wink wink about you know like oh you can find it if maybe you just search planetary read online into Google but it is Warren Ellis so I think you know, everyone's a little bit more morally justified to you know maybe sail the high seas yeah, that's, that's for that bad. one there is also a cheap omnibus and even of if the you entire... like even if you don't want to pirate stuff you can still like find stuff in um, libraries library so used you copies you don't have to pay to to read them totally uh, there's a nice omnibus that's relatively cheap. It's 45 bucks new. You can get it for like $35 used, uh, and it's the entire series. Um, I read this, I read Planetary like eight years ago. This is one of my inclusions that I really wanted to push for this because I really adored this comic. I think it's the only Warren Ellis comic I adore. I'm a, I'm, I like trans, metro, met, 
oof, excuse me, Transmetropolitan okay, <laughs> uh, but Planetary I've really, really loved, and I'm excited to revisit it. Um, we will cover some of, <laughs> we will cover the many crimes of Warren Ellis on that. I'm sure we'll talk about it uh, and give that context, but um, I am I am excited yeah. to speak about this. Uh, and then after that, we're going to be talking about, let's say, are we doing The Boys first or Planetary? I can't remember. I said it earlier. Uh, That's a very good question. Here, just I a second. I, I have it written down. <laughs> We're going to do Peter Cannon we'll Thunderbolt. We'll do them all. We'll do them all. Just <laughs> yeah. stay in your place. <laughs> We're doing Sorry. Peter Cannon Thunderbolt by Kieran Gillen after that, which is five or six issues, because then we're following it up by The Boys, which is 72 issues. I will say now, I may bail on The Boys halfway through if I get really <laughs> exhausted by it. Are you? Uh, it will take. Are you staying to your, like. Are you going to try and watch the show? For, yes, for the yes, yes. I'm going to try to. Uh, I'm going to try to make some time for the show. We'll probably talk about it in comparison, but like, feel free to listen. I don't think we'll like spoil the show for it or anything. But we no. might talk about it like in comparison for it. Um, if you want to vote, if you're like interested, and you want to vote the the comics that we have in our um, like queue for listener choice that we're going to put up for a poll. Uh, top ten. The Authority, Empire, Welcome to Tranquility, Sleeper, and Irredeemable. I only heard about half of those. Uh, the rest are like suggestions from our Slack members. So um, I'm excited to kind of have a surprise for whatever we do at the end here. Uh, thank you, Charlotte. That was a fun first episode. I think a, yeah. uh, I think a success. Yeah. Be, uh, I'm excited to keep doing a strong start. Yeah, I agree. Oh, uh, music is by FM Skyline. Um, that was Harlequin is our opening theme song. Thank you, FM Skyline. Uh, I think that's going to do it. Charlotte, what's our ending for the show? We have to... Um... Uh, yeah, that's the one thing. <laughs> Ooh, okay, did let's... we not think about it? Or did we do it on purpose let me... to have a my, universi- my ultimate year situation? Let me unfocus my... Improv each time. I'm going to unfocus my eyes and go into a meditative state. And then just whatever words come out of my mouth is going to be ent- the exit. If it's about kissing moms, just go to the mm-hmm. second thing you, you think about. Okay, all right. <laughs> Push past that. Um... <laughs> Thank you for listening and extra those issues. No, God, that's nothing. It's nothing, Zach. Enjoy the comics. Wait. Oh, damn it. Dave. Dave's infiltrated. <laughs> He's here with <laughs> us. <laughs> uh, okay. Dave. Uh, our ending is going to be, I promise we'll have an ending next month. Uh, bye. I promise we'll have an ending next month. <laughs> Goodbye. Goodbye.